Well, good morning again. Uh, it is uh, great to uh, be with you, not only obviously helping uh, with the prayers, the announcements, but speaking and preaching on such a, uh, an amazing passage. Uh, if you've been with us the past few weeks, actually a few months, you know that we've been in a series called Go, the Gospel in Action. And we've seen various ways where we need to carry out the gospel. We've seen that this morning in mighty ways, haven't we? With, with Mike Davis and the ministry down in Aliquippa. Also with the, uh, the, the widow's ministry here, carrying out the gospel. Now we see the, the student team, the uh, ministry team going out um, to Jamaica, ministering there. Practical ways that we see the gospel in action. You know, as we look at this uh, chapter here, uh, chapter 18 of the book of Acts, we see that Paul is obviously on his mission as well. What you have to understand, though, as we look at the background of this passage of passage, uh, chapter 18, is that Paul's really at kind of a low point in his ministry. A low point in his ministry. You've seen all, if you've been with us the past few weeks, you know that Paul has experienced much persecution throughout his, uh, throughout his ministry. Uh, this is his second missionary journey. It's pretty arduous. Uh, he's been traveling through Asia Minor. He crossed the Aegean Sea. To the Greek mainland, he healed a demon-possessed girl at Philippi, which we saw. And then persecution came. And he and Silas were thrown into prison. And an earthquake came. And they were let loose. Then they went on to Thessalonica. And they had great success there, Acts 17. And then what happened? Persecution came again. So they had to leave. They go to Berea. And again, great great, uh, response to the gospel in Berea. Persecution comes again. And then he has to go to Athens. And there is where he has one of the most brilliant speeches in Christianity. In Acts 17, verse 19. So persecution has really followed Paul. He's carrying out his mission, but he keeps going. But this is kind of a low point. Now he's got to go to Corinth. Which is, if anybody tells you, if you ever read Corinthians, Corinth is less than a moral place. It's, it's a tough place. And he's kind of at a low point. He's by himself. He's lonely. I remember uh, when uh, speaking of uh, you know going on missions trips. I remember my wife and I. One of the lower points of our ministry um, happened a number of years ago, where we took a, a group of students, thirty high school students, over to Europe, and we were going to go around England, Ireland, Scotland, present the message of abstinence, but also present the gospel message as well. And if anybody could ever tell you, if anybody ever done missions, you'll know that persecution, in the form of trials and tribulations, are going to come. I can't tell you how many different issues we ran into with uh, car trouble, getting lost, passport issues, sickness, all kinds of stuff, protests at the churches we were at. And I remember one of the particularly low points of this uh, journey uh, happened uh, towards, the, uh, towards the end when uh, my wife Deb and I were on, uh, we got on a boat, a ferry that took us from England to Ireland. It was about 10 o'clock at night and uh, we found out right before that that the housing that we were supposed to have in Ireland when we got off the boat fell through. So there we were in a boat with 30 high school students going to Ireland, but we didn't have a place to go when we got off the boat, which I'll tell you, if you ever felt lonely uh, around a group of people, Deb and I felt pretty lonely at that point. What are we going to do? I guess we could sleep alongside the road, but I don't know if that would be a good idea. And I remember we had a bunch of quarters we gathered up, and we were on a payphone on this boat. Every quarter we put in, we were praying. And my wife, Deb, was at a point where she was bawling. Crying out to God, hey, God, you've sent us on this mission. Here we are. Please come through. It was the very last quarter, I kid you not, that she put in. She got a hold of a hotel in a hostel and said, hey, you can stay here. 
But that was a time where it felt very lonely. It was a very low point in our ministry. And Paul, while we were only there for two weeks, this is Paul's life. We've seen this throughout the, his whole missionary journey that, you know what, he keeps going despite the persecution going on around him. You'll see as we look at, uh, if you have your Bibles or service sheets, verse 1. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Corinth was a, was a very famous city. It was built by Julius Caesar in around 146. It was on the narrow isthmus between the, the Greek mainland and the Peloponnesian um, Peninsula. So it was really the center of communication, of travel, both north and south, east and west. But it was a very immoral city. First Corinthians and Second Corinthians, you, you'll see that. All the immor- immorality going on in this place. So there's Paul. He said, I'm going to go. I'm going by myself. I'm going to Corinth. The only thing I can attest it to around here is trying to think of what a modern-day city. I can't think of one. Maybe like Las Vegas, saying, you know what? I'm going to go to Las Vegas, somewhat immoral, and saying, I'm going to go minister to that town by myself. There must have been a a big feeling of loneliness for Paul. It was uh, David Williams in his commentary writes, Corinth was an undeniably a rip-roaring town where none but the toughs can survive. And there you see Paul. And Everett Harrison says, the combination of only limited success in Athens, loneliness, and the prospect of facing the city with this commerce accounts for the weakness and fear that gripped the apostle as he arrived to begin his work. That's why when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, Paul says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He's going to a place that, wow, I got to go there and witness. He's by himself. He's alone. He's, alone. he's getting persecuted, but he still goes. And what we, what we find here that we can apply to our lives this morning is that the God of all comfort, who comforts the depressed, comes to Paul's aid in three different ways. And we see this. The first one is the companionship of friends. The second one is the blessing of converts. third one is the fellowship of God. So as we look there, the first one, the companionship of friends... If you have your Bibles there, verse 2, it says, There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When the Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. So Paul's struggle really was he had to bear this alone. God came to his aid. He met Priscilla and Aquila. In the King James it says he found companionship with them. Desperately needed companionship. Priscilla and Aquila go on to become one of his closest friends as we see in Romans 16. It says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles who are grateful for them. He's grateful for them. He obviously, this, this couple was obviously already converted by the time Paul got there. If, if uh, such a couple would have been converted by Paul, it would probably have been recorded. But apparently they were, already, they were already Christians by the time Paul got there. And they had to relocate to Corinth because, as Claudius had ordered all the Jews out, out of Rome. So he met them. And, and it says he's a tent, a tent maker. This is also in the Greek is another word for leather worker, a trade that... Many people had because tents were made of leather. So he found companionship in these, in these two people. And then he tries to persuade. Every Sunday he's going, to, he's going trying to persuade. 
Jews and Gentiles. His goal was to persuade them that Christ was Israel's Lord and Savior and Messiah, and Savior from hell. And then not only Priscilla and Aquila, but he found comfort because Timothy and Silas came as well. So in his time of need, people are brought to him. I think that there's an application here that sometimes we call out to God and he brings people into our lives and we don't even recognize it. Paul recognized, hey, these are my friends. There's companionship there. There's fellowship. And that's encouraging in our ministry. So the second thing, the encouragement comes from the blessing of converts. The blessing of converts. You see in verse 5 as we read on. It says, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Understand what happened is Timothy and Silas came, they brought gifts. We see this in 2 Corinthians 11. They brought gifts. So Paul didn't have to devote himself to, to making tents anymore. He could devote himself fully to preaching. And so what happens? He goes in, as, as many things have, times have happened before, the people oppose him. The Jews oppose him. The word here is the Greek for antitasso, which means to arrange in battle against. They literally wanted to fight Paul because of his message. They organized themselves to fight the teaching, and they even blasphemed against Christ, which is a pretty serious sin according to Matthew and Luke. So what did Paul do? He shook out his garments. He said, the blood be on your own heads. What was he saying there? He didn't want any of the blasphemy that was going on there to even get on his clothes as he, as he left. It was a rejection of the Jews' response to the message by one of their own. Jesus says a similar thing, doesn't he, in Matthew 10, when he sends out the disciples. If you remember the story, he sends out the disciples two by two. And he says, what, he says whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. Jesus tells the disciples, if the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that town. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, look, my mission is to present the gospel. The responsibility is on you to receive it. Now you may say, well, Jared, I don't get the application here. I don't get it. The application here is that you are called to preach. We are called to go out and minister and preach the gospel. It's not up to us whether or not people are going to receive the message. That's not what success is. Success is saying, you know what? I'm going out because God's called me to go. The work of the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts. So many people give up because they'll go and minister. or They'll present the gospel to somebody and they get rejected and they say, oh, Well, that wasn't successful. I'm obviously not gifted in presenting the gospel to people. And that's not what Paul's saying here. He said the responsibility is on them. My responsibility is to go. Our responsibility is to go. Present the message. The rest is up to God. The rest is up to God. That's why... Adrian Rogers, the former president of the Southern Baptist Church, he was feeling very discouraged that people were not responding to his invitations. So he felt so distraught that he asked God to give him a verse for encouragement. He opened up this Bible, and the first verse he came to was, they are not rejecting you, but me. From then on, Dr. Rogers no longer worried about the results of the invitations, knowing that people were not rejecting him. They were rejecting God. It took all the pressure off his success. 
It's not about success and numbers. How many people that you've witnessed to that have come to know Christ. The success is, are you doing what God's calling you to do faithfully? So what happens? Paul leaves the synagogue, went right next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians heard Paul believed and were baptized. So what happens? Paul is rejecting the message right there. And where does he go? He goes right next door. He goes right next door. The first person he comes to is right next door. And what happens? Crispus, the synagogue leader, and the entire household believed and were baptized. And many of the Corinthians heard Paul and believed as well. Can you imagine what the Jews were thinking? They were opposing him, wanting to fight him. They, they push him out, and he goes right next door. That's the application for us there, too. Because oftentimes we feel like that's where the whole success comes in. It's like, well, they're not responding to my message, so I'm going to change my, change my way of doing this altogether. I'm not going to talk to my family or my coworkers anymore about the gospel. I'm going to go somewhere totally different. That's what Paul does. Paul goes right next door because he realizes success has nothing to do with whether or not they receive the gospel, but whether or not he's preaching it. So he's not going to go very far because he knows he's called to go and minister to the people at Corinth. So he doesn't go very far. And what happens? People come to Christ. They're believing. They're baptized. Ah, the encouragement that must have came for Paul right there. The blessing of converts. Thirdly, the fellowship of God. The fellowship of God. If that wasn't enough, if at Paul's low point, God is bringing friends to him. People are coming to know him. Not only that, but God speaks to him. And what does he say? You'll see there in verse 9. It says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed a year and a half teaching them the word of God. So if it wasn't enough for friends to come to his aid, for people to come to know Christ, God spoke to him as well. He says, hey, Paul, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. I am with you. I have many people in this city. Three things there that should be noted. First thing, he says, don't be afraid, but go on speaking. Don't be silent. That's key. King James Version says, don't hold your peace. What happens, and I'm guilty of this myself, what happens in our lives when we go and we try to share the gospel, and it doesn't work? It doesn't work. We feel, oh, I failed. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to be good. I'm going to just be a righteous person. In hopes that that person will someday come to know Christ. We've all used, heard the phrase, uh, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. It's a popular saying. People attribute it to Francis Assisi. There's two problems with this statement. The problem is, is that we're not even sure if Francis Assisi really said that. Because Francis Assisi was out there preaching five times a day. So one would say, well, I don't know if he actually ever did say that. The second thing is, it's not entirely biblical anyway. Because the gospel isn't something that you could just live or work towards or be righteous enough. God told Paul to go on speaking. He didn't say, don't be afraid. Just preach the gospel if necessary, use words. He said, no, go on speaking. The gospel has to be spoken. The gospel has to be spoken. Yes, we want our lives to live in a way that reflects Christ. We want people to see Christ in us. We do. But the gospel has to be spoken. 
has to be spoken. That's why Romans 10 says, how can they call on the one they have believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? It's Romans 10, 14. How can they believe in one whom they've never heard? Our mission is to go out and preach. Our mission is to to speak the gospel. Yes, live it out. But we've got to use words. We've got to let people know about the saving grace of Christ. That he died for our sins. That we could put a relationship in him. That it's not our works or how good we live to get there. The second thing God tells him is that I'm with you. No one's going to attack and harm you. Isn't that wonderful? Knowing that God is our foundation. That he's the one sending us out. So we have no fear. We should not fear that. He says a similar thing to Joshua after he assumed leadership after Moses' death in Joshua 1.9. It's one of my favorite verses. One of my life verses. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Powerful words. Powerful when we're ministering. That's why Joan of Arc, when she was abandoned by those who stood beside her, said, It is better to be alone with God. His friendship will not fail me, nor his counsel, nor his love. In strength, I will dare and dare and dare until I die. That's what Paul's message was. I'm going to dare and dare and dare until I die. God's calling me to Corinth. They reject me there. It's their responsibility. I'm going to go right next door. I'm going to keep on going because that's my mission. That's what I'm called to. In 2 Timothy 4, it says, At my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May not be held against them, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me the strength so that the strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and the Gentiles might hear. That should give us encouragement, church, as we go, that there should not be fear in presenting the gospel. There should not be. The success of whether or not people come is gone. We just need to be diligent in doing it. And fear knowing God's with us. Finally, the, the final reason Paul gave to, to Paul to keep preaching was that he had many people in this city. There were people in Corinth that needed to hear. Matthew 9 says, The Lord said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers in the harvest field. When we look around us this morning, there are people in our lives that need to hear the gospel. There are people in this city, your family, your friends, your co-worker, that need to hear the message. That's why God said there are people in this city. There are people. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. That's why I'm so encouraged when we see folks here not only ministering to people around us, but they're going out and proclaiming the gospel. We need to be doing that in our communities. So, there is Paul. He's going going, going, despite persecution. Why? Because God's with him. Because he was called to go. And because there's people that need to hear the message. So finally, what's the application? What's the application? First off, I think it's important to note that in our time of need, God is our strength and sends comfort to us in a variety of ways. And we need to focus on that. Not focus on the negative. I remember I was working with a person a while back who was in ministry, and he was really down. He came in and talking to me about Jared. He said, hey, Jared, I, I'm so overwhelmed with all this stuff. People are not responding to me. My ministry is failing. I'm having trouble with my finances now, my family, everything. And I'm overwhelmed, and I can't stop focusing on it. And he was a golfer. 
And I said, when you're at the fairway and you're hitting the ball down the fairway and there's trees on both sides, do you focus on the trees? He said, of course not. You focus on the opening. And I said, that's exactly right. You don't focus on all the persecution going on around you. You focus on the opening where you've got to go. That's what Paul was doing. He was focusing on where he had to go. He wasn't focusing on all the negative. He was focusing on his mission. Second thing, I think it's applicable to point out that, as we did earlier, we are called to evangelize, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit to convict. That's why Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes. It is the power of the Holy Spirit working. But that shouldn't push us to say, well, I don't need to preach the gospel. There's J.I. Packer in his book, The Sovereignty, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, talks about the fact that God is sovereign, but that doesn't negate the necessity of preaching the gospel. It also doesn't negate the urgency to present the gospel. I think it's, it's easy to see around us in the world we live in that things can happen. There's bombings. There's, there's shootings all around us. There's, there's bad things that happen in this world. Maybe we don't understand why. But we do understand that there should be an urgency then to preach the gospel to those around us. Because Luke 13, 3 says, unless you repent, you will all perish. We should have that urgency. And finally, J.I. Packer talks about the belief in God is sovereign in grace does not affect the genuineness of the gospel and the truth of the gospel. You see, some people look around and say, well, I understand the Holy Spirit's going to convict, but not that person. Or they'll look at somebody's life and go, there's no way that person will ever come to Christ. How many of us have done this where we'll say, hey, God, show me, a, show me some, bring somebody into my life that needs to hear the gospel. And we'll look at, we'll look at the, the big burly man sitting there. And we'll see some nice other person sitting there with their Bible and go, I'm going to go preach to that guy or that person. Because there's no way. God's going, to, God's going to convict that person because of the way they're living. The sovereignty of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, shouldn't negate the fact that the gospel is for everybody. No person has done such wrong that God can't save them. That's why Romans ten thirteen says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we've got to get rid of that. We've got to get rid of looking for people who think they could be saved. Start looking for people that we should speak the gospel to. Finally, I think an overarching theme from this passage is that we, not, we don't need to be afraid to share the gospel. We don't need to be afraid to share the gospel. We are called to share the gospel. The ministry's out there. There are people that need to hear the gospel. We, we shouldn't be afraid of that. God has called us to go. That's why when we look at the video from Mike this morning... He says his, pers- his purpose is to be on mission. We're called in Matthew. To all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. We shouldn't be afraid. This group here that's going out to Jamaica... There should be no fear. The ministry is there. God takes away the fear. He doesn't always take away the mission. God takes away the fear. He doesn't always take away the mission. In closing, I think it's applicable to note and point out 
that Paul was doing this because he was called to go. He was really following the commands of God. It wasn't necessarily for his love of the lost. Some of us are waiting for that, that passion. They'll say, Jared, you know what, I just, I've heard this before. They'll say, I just don't have that passion for the lost. I just don't have that love for the lost. This is John Piper, who said, Have you ever wondered what it feels like to have a love of the lost? This term we use as part of our Christian jargon. Many believers search their hearts in condemnation, looking for the arrival of some feeling of benevolence that will propel them into evangelism. John Piper says it will never happen. It's impossible to love the lost. You can't feel deeply for an abstraction or a concept. You would find it impossible to love deeply an unfamiliar individual portrayed in a photograph, let alone a nation or a race, as something as vague as a lost people. Don't wait for a feeling of love in order to share Christ with a stranger. You already love your heavenly father. And you, you know that this stranger is created by him, but separated from him. So take those first steps in evangelism, says Piper, because you love God. It's not primarily out of compassion for humanity that we share our faith or pray for the lost. It's first of all for the love of God. That's why the verse, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. You cannot love your neighbor if you first don't love God. We go and evangelize to them because Christ has already saved us. That's why we do it. We're carrying out this mission and we shouldn't fear it. Because God's with us every step, of the go, every step of the way. And we understand the Holy Spirit as at work. So it should take that, that success off our minds. The only thing we need to be focused on is, are we diligent in spreading the gospel? In doing what God's called us to do. And we go. And like Paul, we keep going. And like Joan of Arc, who said, we go. We dare and dare and dare Because of God, we dare and dare and dare until we die. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Father, thank you for the fact that we can apply this message to our lives this morning, Father. Thank you for Paul. And despite all the persecution going on around him, Father, he kept going. Thank you for bringing encouragement to him in a variety of ways, Father. Help us to be looking for that as well. Father, help us not focus on all the persecution going on around us, Father, but help us focus on the mission that you've called us to do and be diligent in doing so, Father. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. Thank you that your foundation is firm, that we can stand on, Father. Knowing you're in control and we need not fear that. Thanks for today in your name. Amen.